So guys, uh, thanks Mill for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, I'd like you to just introduce your business and, and maybe talk a, a little bit about your respective roles, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so thank you guys both for, for having us on. Um, so Rival is a white label enterprise platform uh, in the gaming and, and esports space that allows organizations, you know, brands, media outlets, the ability to manage and own their own gaming communities um, with the ability to run, you know, their tournaments with whatever cadence they want to, you know, customize and and brand uh, the platform as an extension of their brand in the digital space, um, and really focus on kind of growing a community of gamers that is more than just tournaments, right? So it's it's more than just you know standing up a tournament here. It's really creating the ability for their fans and consumers to you know be able to play in different video games of different titles 365 days uh, you know a year uh, to generate rewards points over time that they can spend back with that organization for things like tickets and experiences or merchandise whatever that organization really wants uh, those to be good for um, so we're really you know again kind of providing this ability for folks to you know control their own destiny in the, in the gaming community Brilliant, and, and and I suppose just in terms of your respective role, you know what what I found interesting, Dan, is that that like you're coming from a traditional sports background, you know, you're, you're if I, you know Chicago Fire, I guess, you know, amongst others. I mean, you've you've come into you've come into rival. I mean, what what's it like going from a traditional sports into like you know an an upstart in an upstart space? You know, really, you know. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's certainly a learning experience for me within the gaming space, and and Paul Brewer, who's you know who's with us, he he has a little bit more traditional gaming experience coming from from ESL, um, which I'm sure he'll talk about. But I, you know, yeah, you're right. I did not have any real traditional gaming experience coming into this role. I've been in the traditional sports marketing agency for my whole career both at agencies as well as properties. You mentioned the Chicago Fire uh, for four years as their marketing director. Um, the last decade I spent at a, a sports marketing agency called Scout Sports and Entertainment, which was the marketing, uh, sports marketing and entertainment arm of Horizon Media. And uh, we, you know, we did a couple of esports team sponsorships for clients. So I, I think I knew a, a, enough to be sort of dangerous in the, in the space. But when you actually join the space and you realize all the, the nuance and of the different game titles and the different communities, I will tell you that I learn a ton every day. Uh, and that I certainly, <laughs> the number of times that I've, I've hit up Paul on the side <laughs> to say, Paul, what is this? What is this game? It was, Paul saved me significantly. <laughs> um, but it's been a wild ride, a, a little bit from the fire hose. But, you know, look, I think the key thing for me is that I was coming from a place where I understood how teams would work with uh, you know, brands from a sponsorship perspective, right? And I understood how teams wanted to engage with their fan bases. And for me, coming in, I said, I really understand how this platform could really help teams 
create new connection points with their fans and help teams have their partners actually be able to dip their toe in the water in the space and, and start doing some things in an authentic way in the gaming space with a partner um, that they're that they're a part of. So that was interesting to me. And that, that all made sense. I understood how from a brand and team perspective, a platform like this could resonate. I don't know if you've seen what's happening over this side of the world, uh, the chat about the uh, European Super League that's going on at the moment. And I saw ESL's uh, tweet earlier today, uh, lambasting boomers for uh, for giving ESL a hard time. So uh, you might talk a little bit about uh, your background with ESL and also how that has helped shape Rival. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, ESL obviously is is probably the bulk of my gaming experience, but it goes back beyond that. Um, I was at ESPN and kind of like Dan was very focused on traditional sports. I got my, my master's in sports business and I uh, was at ESPN and, and worked on something called the Madden challenge, um, which was esports before esports was actually a term. Um, and through there went to a property with Samsung or a brand with Samsung and, and started hosting competitions and, and building competitions. And I was one of those guys that was literally crawling under tables and networking Xboxes and PCs and things like that. Um, and then decided to go back into the traditional sports um, because it was before Twitch was even Twitch. It was Justin TV. And I just didn't see the scale in what is now esports. And then once sort of this democratization of content and cloud gaming and all these things happened, um, you know, there became a real opportunity in gaming. And, and that's when um, I went and, and joined forces with some, some good people at ESL. Um, I think what is so interesting is that, you know, there's this huge confusion between like what is esports and what is gaming, right? Like gaming is this massive sort of world of, of whatever it is, three and a half billion gamers across the planet who are gaming on their phone or on a console or on a PC, um, and then there's this sort of subsector of, of esports, and um, you know I, I think ESL is probably doing it better than almost anybody else, if if I'm candid. But they're still very focused on that top of the pyramid, and how do we create sort of a, an, a moment or an event or a broadcast that is reaching the masses, but still focused on sort of the uh, you know the elite gamer. And what I think drew me so much to Rival, besides Dan Parisi um, and some of the people here, was the idea that we're really trying to be something for gamers, right? If you think about Aston Villa and Celtic and all these different properties, um, it's not about finding the best FIFA player in their ecosystem. It's about creating this world where everybody can play FIFA against each other. And it's not just FIFA. It's Rocket League or Fortnite or whatever. Um, and that became really interesting to me because... I think three and a half billion gamers is a lot more interesting than call it the, you know, two million hardcore gamers who are playing, you know, Counter-Strike or whatever it is, right? So, um, yeah, and Rival being that property that says, hey, we want to we wanna work in that bottom 99% of the pyramid as opposed to that top 1% uh, was super, super interesting to me because – Quite frankly, that's probably where there's going to be a lot more revenue and a lot more business than you know trying to to build a new uh, hardcore sport that that ultimately probably ends in being very niche. No, you're, you're you're dead right there, and I think we've we've spoken about it in previous podcasts. Like we're all quite interested in the grassroots, which is the 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 
the broader community and like any sport out there needs to have a, a thriving um, and vibrant grassroots um, sort of section for the elite to, to kind of even exist because um, without them there are no elites so um, I love I love your, your your framing and your your point of view and uh, I think you're right there's probably a lot more revenue in uh, in the the wider community than just the elite so good stuff totally and Paul, just 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 kind of building on that, like I mean, you know, you mentioned Celtic, you mentioned you know Villa, there's other clubs, you know, in that. I mean, you know, we we see an awful lot of talk about 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 football clubs and other sports clubs kind of moving into the esports space, but I, I guess really you're coming at at this from a different angle. I mean, you're 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 kind of saying right, actually, okay, yeah, esports is here, okay, that's brilliant, um, but why not start and just build a community around the gaming piece? And like, does, does that do, do clubs get it? And, and I, and, and I don't want to sound, you know, you know, saying clubs are, are, are anything, but, but, but like, do they understand that? Because I think like, you know, you take a club like Celtic, a huge fan base and, and that, that fan base is, a has gaming fan base, whether it's Pez, whether it's FIFA, whatever it is, other games, Warzone, Call of Duty. So, so do the clubs themselves, do they understand what you're trying to bring to them? Yeah, it's such a good question, and and I'll give you a bit of a hot take. I, I think the the short answer is they're starting to, right? I think originally a lot of these clubs, you think about the E Premier League or EMLS or NBA Two K or whatever these leagues are, they started by saying, "Hey, we've got to we've got to capitalize on this thing called esports. We've got to build a league. We've got to build that top of the pyramid. We've got to build something that's very exposure and impression based." And what they're realizing is that within their fan bases, it's not about like we're going to have the best FIFA player, or Pez player, or Call of Duty player in the world. It's about we've got a lot of fans who just like to game. And so they're starting to realize like, hey, there's an actual business here where we can build a community and support our fan base. And it's not about us being an esports property. Celtic is about putting a great property on the pitch, right? They're not about saying we're going to have the best Pez player. Now they're they're using that as a function of building community and fan engagement and things like that. Um, so I think the short answer, Trev, is that they're starting to. They're starting to realize that there's a there's an ecosystem for gamers out there that goes beyond just building an esport around their IP. Um, and look, it's an education process. It's when you think about it, right? Esports is still very much nascent. It's still very much in its infancy. And you know, it may have been around for 15 or 20 years. And it's only recently in the last five that it's become really prevalent. But the reality is these teams are still learning. And that that's it's been it's been successful for us to see them like say, oh, okay, I can I can actually utilize the broader gaming sphere as opposed to I'm gonna join EMLS and I'm gonna win E Premier League or whatever that is. Um, so yeah, I think I think they're starting to get it for sure. And and I think if I can just add to that, I, I think that they're also realizing that it doesn't need to be one or the other, right? That there are plenty of organizations that are taking that journey into professional esports and you know are doing doing it well and seeing benefits in it. But then we'll look at the approach that we have in terms of engaging more with the the fan base and the and the folks that are out there that are casually gaming and say hey that's actually really supplemental to what we're doing up here at the top of the pyramid right if, if the top of the pyramid is about that 
top level competitive gamers and growing that out for the engagement with the fan base from a viewership perspective, what am I doing from a participatory perspective and from building my gamers uh, or my fan base uh, of gamers and, and offering them opportunities to actually engage rather than simply sort of watching the, the top tier. So I do think it's a very uh, supplemental and supporting type of strategy. And I think that the more conversations we have, the more that organization sort of realize that it doesn't need to be one or the other. Cool. Um, Dan, this might be one for you from a marketing perspective, but uh, I've seen Bud Light have, have activated on, on your platform. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the other brands and some of the benefits that they're seeing from using the platform and how, how it works as part of their, their marketing strategy or media mix? Yeah. So I think, the Bud Light example that you, you've you probably seen or a couple of examples that you've seen have been tied to our team partners selling those programs into their sponsor, you know, being Bud Light, which is one of the things that I always knew was going to be an attractive part of this was that because you're allowing these organizations to manage their own community they have all these assets that they can monetize for their team partners, right? And there are brands like Bud Light that are non-endemic gaming brands that are doing things in, in gaming and esports that look at this and say, oh, this is a natural extension to what I'm doing with this team from a sponsorship perspective. So I think that there's been a lot of benefits there. Um, and I do think that there's lots of our partners that have seen a lot of positive feedback from going out to their brand partners and saying, hey, we have a whole new platform or a whole new you know, initiative that we're doing as a team. Do you want to get involved? You know, Ben, one of the things that, and I've, I've said this a few times to folks, one of the things that I remember like roughly a year ago when I was at my sports marketing agency was that we were getting as the pandemic set as the pandemic set in we were getting you know hundreds of different make good packages from our team partners right for the brands that we represented and a lot of those packages were just the exact same assets that we had in our current deal right there was nothing new or innovative about it it was just here's here's another post or here's another content series right and so I said, this is a whole new product that a team can go to market with and say, oh, we have a gaming community, right? And, and it's a potentially a whole new base of, of users as, as well. So that was what was really interesting to me. In terms of brands um, who want to explore having their own gaming community, of which I think you know we're, we're seeing a lot of very positive conversations going on in the brand world about this, is that brands can really utilize the platform as an activation tool for some of the partnerships and IP that they own uh, within the sponsorship world, right? So if, if you're out there and you are an Olympic partner, let's say, or let's say you're a, you know, a World Cup partner, right? You have a lot of valuable IP and access to things that normal people don't have access to. And so how do you create a gaming extension of your activation plan for World Cup or Olympics, utilizing a gaming community that I that you own, right? And so you're really kind of creating this opportunity for people to have activation extensions within the gaming space. And that's been a very positive part of a, of a lot of our conversations. And I, and I guess, Paul, like, you know, to, to build on what kind of Dan is saying there, I mean, sometimes, you know, 
when you think of sport and and esports and traditional sports, it always seems like the US is is just that bit ahead of the UK and Ireland, and they get it. They understand, you know, experience led activations. They understand, you know, engagement. And does does that ring true when you and I, you know, I don't want to pitch one set of clients against the other, but like when you look at a a US sports team, for example, like and you know, you are a prospective even US sports team versus a prospective European team. Is the kind of conversation a bit kind of, uh, you know, the US guys will go, yeah, get it. You know, we're, we're, we're all into communities. We'll build. And does it take a bit more convincing or am I, am I wide off the mark here? Uh, it's, it's such a good question. And I go back and forth on this one, Trev, because from over here, I look at what Premier League does and what some of the the football clubs and Bundesliga, you know, you think about PSG and their esports or, you know, there's lots of properties over on your guys' side of the world who they're very developed in the way that they think about gaming and esports. Um, but then you look over here and you look at things like, you know, the 2K League and what the NFL has done with Madden and, and it's also sort of forward thinking. So I go back and forth on sort of where geographically they're the most advanced with their gaming and esports. I think, um, you know, I, I think probably over here the difference is people are a lot less risk averse. I think, you know, you think about the NBA and this massive organization and they jump right into building building a league with the 2K League, whereas, you know, you you look at somebody like Manchester United and they may participate in PES and in and, and E-Premier League and things like that. But in terms of actually building an ecosystem, they're very sort of crawl, walk, run from a from a perspective of how are we going to do this? So um, your question's a good one. I think, you know, the convincing is more about like, hey, let's take a risk, Manchester United. Whereas over here, the NBA 2K is less about, you know, less concerned about taking a risk. Um, it's just about doing it the right way. So, you know, it, it's it's all about the approach and by different sport also, right? You think about what games, FIFA, there's probably a lot bigger playership in FIFA than there is in NBA 2K from a competitive perspective. So it, it also makes it interesting from the different properties perspective of like, where should we be in our gaming, you know, journey or our esports journey um but i think if i had to had to say one to answer your question trev i'd i'd say that yeah the, the u.s from a sports property and team perspective they're they're pretty advanced they're they're moving down that path of seeing sort of where the opportunity is where the audience is and quite frankly where the monetization is yeah we certainly have a, a long way to go to convince even brands in in ireland for example if you think like America's always leading the charge. Great Britain kind of follows suit at some stage. And then Ireland like comes Paddy last. Paddy last, actually, that's a, a nice little pun. Um, but we've, yeah, we've a lot of a lot of convincing to do. And one of the kind of ways that I'm trying to think about that or help certainly the brands that I work on think about it is, you know, we're all competing for the same marketing channels in Ireland continuously and all our competitors are on those same channels as well so where are the places that our competitors are not and where is it the right place for us to build those communities and for some brands maybe gaming and esports is not the right move but i think for the younger brands that that are in ireland and and for hopefully some of our listeners i think as you're saying paul it's all about taking that first step and that that jump into it so um i suppose my question then here would be really is how, how, how do you think 
a brand should take its first steps into into building that community or or even some of the clubs that might be might be um thinking about it yeah it's such a good question kind of the age-old question right ben and and it's it's a good one because i i think my answer is always going to be like there isn't a silver bullet there isn't a way that a brand can say this is how we have to do it um, I think the way that some of the brands have gotten into it where they, you know, they sponsor certain events or properties is, is super compelling and it's the right way. I think other things that, that brands do from a community perspective, they, they stand up their own sort of gaming activations or esports. Um, I think that's super compelling. Uh, there's, there's definitely some cases of, of some, uh, some misses by brands. But I don't think there's necessarily a silver bullet saying this is this is the entry point to esports. I think it really depends on the brand. And even on your side of the pond, what what Barclays has done in the UK is is super interesting. The way they they promote financial literacy through team deals and through team partnerships. I think that's that's super relevant to their brand, right? Whereas over here, Bud Light, you know, they stand they they sponsor you know, Riot and League of Legends, or they they work with specific teams, or they integrate like DP was talking about with the Orlando Magic. They, they cross over between their Orlando Magic partnership and their Magic Gaming partnership. I think that's a super smart way of doing it. So don't know that there's one answer. I think if anything, it's just do something, right? Like even if you F it up, even if you mess up, just do something. Because even if you fail, you're in the space and you're learning and you're building and you're you're moving forward. And that's been the hardest thing to convince, as, as you kind of described, Ben. It's it's just such a, a challenge. But um, in terms of being like, hey, here's the solution, I think it's tough to identify that. There, there's been some really good cases. Intel is is one of the best, right? They they've they've literally dominated the PC gaming market. Um, from team sponsorships and league and tournament sponsorships all the way into um, grassroots community building efforts and and activations and and it's been brilliant um, but does that mean Pepsi can go do the exact same thing I don't think so uh, even as brilliant as that was for Intel so you know it, it really depends on the brand but I think my answer is like please just do something just do something and it doesn't have to be a billion dollar investment just do something love it yeah. And I think I'll just add to that, Ben, I mentioned before, what we're doing with a lot of the team organizations is allowing those, some of those brands to just do something right through that, through their team partner, which I think again is, is one of the ways that has been really, you know, it's been really well received that it's very likely that a lot of these teams have partners that have wanted to do something in gaming for a long time, but don't, you know, don't know what to do. Ask themselves the question, oh, like, I don't want to be seen as, you know, doing something the wrong way. But when you have the ability to do it with your team that you're a sponsor of, it allows them that opportunity to, to try something in a way that could be a little bit safer than trying to do it on their own. Yeah. And, and I get I, I just want to build on the, 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 the just, just do it kind of thing, because like one of the things we're seeing and we've been trying to bring into podcasts is that the... Um, there's an awful lot of people interested in this space, you know, in Ireland and the UK. Like even like recently, I had a conversation with um, with an education group um, for, um, for for out of work people and and, um, and disabled people, and the, the conversation was about like you know, can I work in this space? How do I get into this space? You know, and I also had conversations with UK colleges with similar that are offering courses. I guess Dan, you know. You're a voice, I mean, to somebody looking to get into this space, you know, you, you've gone 
what I would see as the the secure route of traditional sport into maybe you know that that it's not less secure. There's no less secure in any world like this. You know, you'd probably argue the opposite right now, to be fair. But you know, what's your advice to somebody looking to kind of go and work in the world of esports? I've an interest in gaming. I want to do it. What do I do? Well, I think. I mean, for me, right, not coming from someone with a background in esports or gaming, uh, I guess my strategy was like, oh, we're going to jump right in <laughs> and, and we're going to see how it goes. Uh, because obviously, look, it's a growing, it's a growing industry. Um, and the last year has been pretty incredible in terms of the growth of the global gaming industry, you know, specifically, not, not necessarily esports specific, who I think. You know, the esports industry struggled a little bit with the lack of live events and lost revenue around that, but certainly people were at home playing video games, and that's going to be good for the industry long long term. You know, I don't know if I have advice for people specific to the gaming industry, as I do often. I might throw this to my friend uh, Paul Brewer because he probably has a little bit of a uh, a better sight into this from from his past experience at ESL. Um, but yeah, it's it's. I think it's certainly an interesting time to join. And I think one of the things that you guys have seen quite a bit is this migration of senior executives from more traditional sports and entertainment roles into the industry, whether you talk about, you know, a, a Tony Petiti to, to Activision, right? And, 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 and you know, a lot of those types of folks who are making the move uh, from traditional to esports is an interesting time. But in terms of advice, I'm going to turn it over to my trusty friend, uh, Paul Brewer, because I think he probably, his advice is probably better than mine. No, no, no. Don't, don't trust my advice, but I always have an opinion. So there's, there's a difference between opinions and advice, right? Uh, but look, here's, here's what I tell people all the time. Uh, you know, the, the, the tough part about gaming and esports is that I, a lot of people don't want to admit this when you're really on the inside. But it still very much is the wild, wild west, right? Every day there's a new team that pops up or there's a new organization or a new VC fund or whatever that is. And my advice is always sort of do your homework and look at the players who have been in the space for a while and look for opportunities with them, right? The, the publishers are a good spot. I think some of the tournament organizers like an ESL. And then, you know, companies like Twitch, like those those players who have been in the space for a while, they have a business built around what they're doing, I think is, is super important. Um, and then the other thing that I like to say is, you know, there's lots of different ways of getting in. Trev, you mentioned like, you know, the, the education and now universities, especially over here, but I know all across the world, they're they're building curriculums around gaming and esports, and there's there's uh, scholarships built around an esports program, and that's interesting. But the reality is, you don't have to go get educated in esports to work in it. I think there's just so many. There's a vast amount of opportunities, and it's everything from talent and being behind a mic to account management to development. Like there's just so many different things that you can do. But when you think about all of those things, I advise everybody do it with an organization try to do it with an organization that has a business already because um you know standing up something and, and joining an organization that is you know six months old and, and this is me coming from rival right which is relatively startup but you know you've got to look at the business model which is what our founders credit to, to sean Renan and, and bobby russell they they built a they built businesses before but they really thought about the business model of rival 
And then Matt Virtue and Dan Parisi obviously came in and, and, and created and, and really drove that home. And I, I encourage, like, make sure that there is a business there. Because if there's not a there there, you're going to be a naysayer to gaming and esports. And you're going to say there aren't opportunities in the industry. And that's just false. Um, so, you know, find, find something that you like doing. And it's not just about I'm a gamer. It's about I'm a developer or I have a good voice for the mic. Dude, Ben, you, you, you've done it, right? Um, but there's all kinds of opportunities in the space and then just go find the, the right organization to do it with. That is a, uh, that's solid advice. My tactic was, Brilliant. was just to follow Trevor around LinkedIn until I saw an opportunity. So <laughs> that, that's what I did. <laughs> that's funny. I called Paul Brewer. Before Paul was at ESL. I, when I was looking to come to rival, I called Paul. I'm like, Paul, tell me about eSports. <laughs>